Have you ever seen stained glass move like that? That's quite remarkable, it really is. Well, hello church, welcome to the final Sunday in the month of April. I'm really glad that you're here, and in just a moment, we're going to dive into the last talk in our theme here today and here tomorrow. Before we do that, though, I want to talk to you about the month of May and even a little bit of June. We begin a brand new theme next week called Moses in May and a little bit of June as well. And here's what I mean by that. We're going to take all five Sundays in May and just do a character sketch of sorts on the Old Testament prophet named Moses. And then we're going to take the first two Sundays in June and continue that theme I am very excited about this, as Moses is the individual who led his people out of slavery in Egypt. He is arguably, not that we're going to argue about it, but he is arguably a very important individual in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament. A lot of scholars would say he is the most important figure in all of the Old Testament, besides God himself. So we're going to take time and just look at his life. And what can we learn from him? Well, because of who he was and what he said and how he functioned, I believe there's quite a bit that we can learn from this reluctant prophet. And he actually was a little reluctant, but yet God still used him to do the miraculous. Now, for apprentices of Jesus, here's something for you to consider. Much of the framework of the New Testament is actually based on the life and the person of Moses. It actually is. And maybe you've never considered that or thought about that before or connected those dots. But he's not only a very important Old Testament figure, a lot of what we read about in terms of redemption and following God and being obedient to him, even when it's difficult, can be traced all the way back to the life of Moses. And he's alluded to quite a bit in the New Testament as well. So there's a lot we can learn from him. That is going to begin next Sunday. So Moses in May And a little bit of Moses in June as well. I think we're going to have a great time. Here's something else that's happening next week. We are welcoming back guest worship leader Donovan Henry. Donovan helped lead us in worship when we were recording and not meeting in person. He did a fantastic job. Donovan is someone who loves Jesus deeply. And God has gifted him in some unique ways And he has a passion for serving churches. And so he has graciously decided to come and be here next week. I think we're going to have a wonderful day responding to the greatness of God and worship. And then beginning this new theme in Moses. So please invite some friends. Invite your family members next Sunday. It's going to be a really memorable day. But today, I think, is also a good day, and you're here or you're watching online, and I want to step into Acts chapter 2 in just a moment as we conclude here today, here tomorrow. Before we do that, let's just pause and pray together.
Father, we are thankful for today and the opportunity in front of us to open up the scripture and discover what you want for each and every one of us today, what you want for your church. So God, I pray that you would just speak to us, calm us, help us to be ready to listen and to do whatever it is that you place on our hearts. So God, move in us and help us to respond to you now, we do pray, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Okay, here's our big idea for today. It's just one word. It's the word participate, participate. And the reason I have chosen this as our big idea for today is because it's what is presented to us in Acts chapter 2. There is this grand invitation, not only for believers way back in the day, but for followers of Jesus today to participate in what God is doing and what he wants to do through each and every one of us. And this is what we see lived out in Acts chapter 2. So with your Bible or your device or with the church app, Please meet me in the New Testament book of Acts and chapter 2. For four weeks now, we have been traveling through Luke chapter 24, which is the final chapter in Luke's gospel. And then we started looking at Acts chapter 1, which Acts is the sequel to Luke's gospel, also written by Luke as he had time with eyewitness accounts who observed and knew what happened to and with Jesus. So Luke captures all of this. He records it for us in his gospel. We looked at chapter 24, and then last week we stepped into Acts chapter 1. Today we will conclude all of this with Acts chapter 2. There's a continuous narrative here, beginning in Luke 24, and then into the sequel in Acts 1 and 2, of the story of Jesus. And how he came and lived and died and rose again. He appeared to a lot of people so they would know that he was physically alive. And then we discover that Jesus, after about 40-ish days, he returns to heaven. His work on earth is all done. It's complete. He paid the price for our sins. He defeated death by rising again. He showed people he was really alive and he returns to heaven, but yet there are some things that happen after he returns, and this is what we find in Acts chapter 2. So we're going to walk through this today. Before we get into Acts chapter 2, though, I do want to share two thinking points with you. The first thinking point is in relationship to the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we find in Acts chapter 2. If you remember what we have discussed, Jesus clearly communicated to his apprentices, I'm done here on earth, my work is complete, I'm returning to heaven, but wait for it, right? <laughs> Just wait, because God the Father is going to send God the Holy Spirit and he will be with you. In fact, he will live in you, but just wait for it. So, God's here today, and he will be here tomorrow as well. This is the promise of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is coming, 
and we see his arrival in Acts chapter 2. But I will say this, and here's talking point number one. Thinking through this is kind of hard to explain. It is. I'm just being transparent and vulnerable. I am certainly not an expert on the subject of the Holy Spirit. I would submit to you, it's mysterious. It's mysterious. And this is what makes God so fascinating and interesting. He is a mysterious God. And while there are things about him that we can know and understand based on what we find in Scripture, here's what God does. Here's how he thinks. Here's how God acts in relationship to his followers and even those who do not follow him. We see that revealed to us in Scripture so we can get a picture of what God is like by diving into this great book. Yet there is still a lot about God we don't understand. And he is a mystery. Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, probably captured it best. This is Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. He's communicating to God's people the thoughts of God. So this is God saying something here, and Isaiah has captured it for us. Here's what he says, verse 8. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways, they are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And I think what Isaiah is just helping us to understand here is we really cannot fully know God. We can't. His ways and his thoughts are just beyond us. Now again, and this is encouraging, there are some things we can know about God. We should dive into that and embrace that and live with it. But there's a lot about God that we cannot know and cannot understand. And personally, I'm okay with that. I really am. Do we want a God that we can fully comprehend and explain and put in a box and place on a shelf? Well, that would be an idol. And that actually wouldn't be a good thing. And this is why God helps us to know, look, you can't understand everything about me. My ways are above your ways and my thoughts are beyond your thoughts. Some things we can know about God, and that's great, but we can't know everything. And so I just confess to you, thinking about the arrival of God, the Holy Spirit, it's hard to explain. And as we move through this, let's just remember, God's ways and God's thoughts are grand and beyond us, and that's really good. It's good. Here's the second thinking point. As we consider God the Holy Spirit, he's not the odd family member, (laughs) okay? He's not. We all have odd family members, don't we? We love them because they're part of the family, but they're a bit out there and a bit strange, and we're not going to invite them to introduce us when we win the Grammys, right? We're just not going to do that because they're a little strange. And I think sometimes we think about God the Holy Spirit that way. There's God the Father. He makes sense. 
There's God the Son, Jesus. We kind of get him, and there's four Gospels dedicated to describing his life. But God the Holy Spirit, he's kind of the forgotten God. God the Father, he does God the Father kinds of things. And God the Son, Jesus, he does Jesus kinds of things. But what does God the Holy Spirit do? He just kind of floats around. And who is he and how does he function? He's just kind of strange. But yet I would submit this to you and I want you to hear this. If you have trusted in Jesus alone to rescue you, God the Holy Spirit is in us. And we should be experiencing his presence and his activity. Okay? Whether you understand this or not, if you have trusted in Jesus alone to rescue you, God the Holy Spirit is in you, and we should be experiencing his presence and his activity in our lives. Are we? Are we? And if we were, would we know it? Well, I think what you discover in Acts chapter 2 is that these early believers, they knew it. And I think we can know it as well. So the final talk of here today, here tomorrow, is just an overview of what we discover in Acts chapter 2. We're not going to read through every verse It'll be an overview, a flyby of God the Holy Spirit coming. He arrives, so God's here today and he will be here tomorrow. And then we see a challenge of sorts to participate in this better together kind of faith community that devoted themselves, and we'll read this in just a moment, this brand new church with the Holy Spirit in them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, the scripture, to diving into that and understanding it and using it in their lives. They devoted themselves to that with God the Holy Spirit in them. They devoted themselves to fellowship, the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper. And they devoted themselves to dynamic prayer with God the Holy Spirit in them. And God used all of this togetherness to create in them something that was attractive and began to spread throughout the world. So much so that we, the church, are still functioning today, coming out of what we discover in Acts chapter 2. So let's begin our overview What we find in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, is that the followers of Jesus are huddled together just like Jesus asked them to do. If you remember, Jesus said before he returned to heaven, go back to Jerusalem and wait for it. Just stay there because God the Father is going to send God the Holy Spirit. So you just get back to Jerusalem and you wait there. And so that's what they're doing. They're huddled together in a room wondering what is going to happen next. 
And how will all of this shake out for us? God, the Holy Spirit coming. What will this be like when it actually occurs? And so they are together. And wouldn't you know, we find right away in the opening verses. It describes this type of scene. God, the Holy Spirit settled on them in what looked like flames of fire over their heads. So this is really an unusual scene. It's the first appearance here of God, the Holy Spirit, and he just settled on them with flames of fire. And then these believers began to speak in different languages as a result. It was quite a miraculous scene. Well, this scene was accompanied by noise and, of course, by the miraculous people speaking in a language they weren't able to speak in before the Holy Spirit came. And so it really attracted a crowd. Like, what is happening in that room with these Jesus followers? What's happening here? And what we discover in Acts chapter 2 is that there are two responses to this. Now, if you were here back in March, we had a guest teacher. His name was Derek Parks, and he talked to us about Acts chapter 2 and did a magnificent job really unpacking these two responses. If you didn't get the chance to watch that, I would encourage you to go back on our website and search for that Sunday with Derek Parks and just listen to his explanation of Acts chapter 2 and these two responses. Basically, here's what happened. There's one group that said, wow. Acts chapter 2 uses the words, they were amazed and astonished at what they were seeing in these believers as God the Holy Spirit filled them. They were just shocked, and I think drawn to what was happening. And then there was another group who said, you know, I'm not so sure. This is a bit odd. It's out there. And perhaps these followers of Jesus, you know, maybe they've been drinking a little too much and we think they're drunk. And that's why this is occurring. And you can read about all of this in Acts chapter two. So those are the two responses. One group said, wow, maybe God is up to something here and we should pay attention to this. And the other group dismissed it and said, this is strange and I'm not so sure. That's Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. What we find then, beginning in verse 14, is one of Jesus' apprentices. His name is Peter. Remember Peter? He's the one who denied ever knowing Jesus. And he did it three times. Like, I don't know who he is. Scripture tells us that Peter was really broken over that. And we find in some beautiful scenes in Scripture, Jesus meeting Peter in that moment and restoring his brokenness and lifting him back up and saying, Peter, it's upon you that I will build my church. And I think we see that right here in Acts chapter 2. So beginning with verse 14, Peter, the one who denied, who's now been restored, he is feeling good about life. And he begins a sermon. And what we find beginning in verse 36 is the takeaway section of Peter's talk. 
So here we go. Follow along as I read. Peter saying, let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Well, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? We're moved by this. What do we do? Peter replied, each of you must do this. Repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I think that would have made sense to them because they were observing this. So if you do this, then you will have the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. I want to pause here and point out something in Peter's talk that I think is extraordinary. He's looking at people who aren't quite there yet, trying to figure out what's happening with all of this commotion and the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And he looks at them and states, you can have the Holy Spirit too. You can have him. And he can be with you and in you when you believe in the saving work of Jesus. So Peter does something fascinating here that gives us a clue as to how all of this works. Belief is the trigger that brings the Holy Spirit into our lives. And so Peter's just telling people here, believe, believe, trust in the saving work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit will be with you and he will be in you. It's interesting to me because in John chapter 14, before Jesus was killed, he's having a very strategic conversation with all of his followers. And he says something to them about the Holy Spirit. Here's what he states. This is John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. These are the words of Jesus. He says, I will ask the Father, God the Father, and he will give you another advocate You see that word there? The word advocate is another name or another title for God the Holy Spirit. It's part of his job description. He advocates for us. So God the Son, Jesus is saying, I will ask God the Father and he will send to you God the Holy Spirit. He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Wow. This is a great promise. If you like to highlight and underline, I would encourage you to grab that phrase. This advocate, he will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives, get this, with you now and later will be in you. Did you pick up on the prepositions that we find in verse 17? Jesus is stating, he is with you, with. And he will be 
in you. Again, we just get a beautiful picture here describing the Holy Spirit's relation to the believer. He is with us and he is in us. He indwells and we have his personal presence once we believe, which is what Peter was pointing to in Acts chapter two. Here today, here tomorrow, God wasn't leaving the believers in Acts chapter two and he will not leave us either. His presence was with them, and his presence is with us. In fact, he is in believers. He is in us. Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about how the Holy Spirit guides and directs and convicts and challenges and illuminates. There's a whole doctrine. There's a whole side of that that talks about the illumination ministry of the Holy Spirit, which means he turns the light on as we read scripture for believers so that they can understand what God wants for them. That's part of what the Holy Spirit does. And we could talk about that. We could talk about the baptism of the Spirit and the indwelling of the Spirit. And does the Holy Spirit still do things like what we read about in Acts chapter 2? We're going to save all of that for another day. Here's what I want you to know. And what I want you to understand and what I hope brings joy and extreme comfort into your life. All right, so please hear this. If you have trusted in Jesus alone to rescue you, without you knowing about it and without you feeling anything at all, the Holy Spirit is with you and in you. He took up residence in your life and he will never leave you. Never. It's incredible. It really is quite amazing. Now, can we push him into a small corner of our life and ignore him and not live within the power that he wants for us? Absolutely. <laughs> and believers do it all the time. I know I do, and maybe you feel the same way. But the reverse of that is also true. We can just open up every room in our heart to the Spirit and say, you reign, you rule, I will yield and submit to you. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit begins to work in and through us. And incredible things can happen with the Spirit's power alive in us. So just know, if you've trusted in Jesus alone to rescue you, God the Holy Spirit with you, he's in you here today and here tomorrow. Okay, back to Acts chapter 2 and the rest of Peter's talk. Verse 40, then Peter continued preaching for a long time. That always strikes me as kind of funny as a pastor. Preaching a long time. I love that verse. It's one of my favorites. So he's just going for it, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves, please, from this crooked generation. Get this. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. It can be really easy to overlook that number, but if you go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 15, we discover that there are about 120 believers huddled in that room waiting for the Holy Spirit. 120. 
So in a very short amount of time, the church is just exploding with growth. All the believers, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And guess what happened? A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, shared the money with those in need. They worshiped, will you say this word with me? Together. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and, will you say it, generosity. There's a lot of responding to the greatness of God together here. And another result is there's just great joy and generosity. It sounds like a great place, doesn't it? All the while, they're praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved, and the work of the Holy Spirit began to spread. That's Acts chapter 2. What do we do with all of this information? about God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. He's here now. He's at work and the church is beginning to grow and spread. What do we do with all of this? Well, I have three takeaways. Here's the first one. If you have trusted in Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives within you, which he does, right? That's the promise from Jesus himself. The advocate will come. So if you have trusted in Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives within you, how is he directing your life? Do you see him producing fruit in your life for the purpose of serving others? Do you see this happening? So this is kind of a question for all believers now, a time to self Reflect, if God the Holy Spirit is within you, how is he directing you? And what kind of fruit is he producing in you so that you can be of service to other people? Keep in mind that Jesus said the Holy Spirit is coming. He's coming. We talked about his words in John chapter 14. A couple of chapters after that, Jesus is still interacting with his apprentices and he says this, it is best for you. I'll try to capture this. We have the physical presence of Jesus. And he's talking to his followers. And he says to them, it is best for you that I go away. Like this is better for you that I leave. Because if I don't leave, the advocate which again is another name for the Holy Spirit, he won't come. Now, I'm sure that was very confusing for the followers to grasp because they had Jesus right there. I mean, they could touch him and listen to him and eat with him and walk with him. They had the physical presence of Jesus, a very real thing. But yet Jesus said, it's going to be better for you not to have my physical presence here. 
Because if I don't leave, then the Holy Spirit will not come. And he needs to come to be with you and in you. So the Holy Spirit actually beats the physical presence of Jesus. Again, all of this is mysterious and quite phenomenal. Francis Chan, an author in writing on this topic, said thousands of years later, I think most of us would choose a physical Jesus over an invisible spirit. But what do we do with the fact Jesus says it is better for his followers to have the Holy Spirit? What do we do with that? Do we believe him? If so, do our lives reflect that belief? So how are we allowing the Holy Spirit to direct our lives? This is a question all believers should ask and answer today at some point. Just wrestle with that. Here's the second takeaway. The church can function better together because of Christ's work. I'm convinced of that, and it's what God the Holy Spirit wants. So what you see in Acts chapter 2 is this community of faith exploding in growth, and they're just together. They're selling their possessions and giving to those in need. They're sharing meals together. They are praying together. They are listening to the apostles' teachings together. And God the Holy Spirit was at work, and they were absolutely better together, so much so that this little life-saving station in Jerusalem began to grow and grow and grow, and their light spread around the world, so much so that we're still the church today. We're a part of this. So it works. Again, the church can function better together because of what Christ has done. His exit and the arrival of God the Holy Spirit, who is with you, right? Enjoy that. Let that settle in you and encourage you. He is with you and in you. He is. One more takeaway. And that is I want to call our church to seven days of prayer. I haven't done this often. But I think this is a great time as we think about God the Holy Spirit with us and in us. Just to call every single person in our church. Every single age whether you consider yourself to be a praying person or not, I'm going to ask every single person for the next seven days, beginning tomorrow, on Monday the 26th, all the way through next Sunday, May the 2nd, to pray and ask God the Holy Spirit to work in and through us as individuals and as families and as a faith community that we would submit and yield to God and His Spirit and Follow him and listen and yield and say no to ourselves and say yes to the Spirit. Now, some of you will probably be really encouraged with that and you know what that looks like and you know what to pray. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not even sure how to start that and that's okay. I want everybody to do this. And so we've made it simple. I created a seven days of prayer sheet. And you can download that on the app. You can find it on the church website. If you want a physical copy, you can pick up a piece of paper out at Just For You, and you can take that home with you. And it starts tomorrow with a little bit of scripture every day. 
a little bit of scripture, and then a few other thoughts to pray, just to open our hearts and our lives to the Spirit and ask Him to move in and through us as individuals, as families, and as a faith community. And I want us to pray these different scriptures that you'll find on the sheet. I want us to do that because, again, one of the Holy Spirit's jobs is to illuminate scripture for us to help us get it and understand it. So what better way to ask him to move in us than to actually pray what he wants to help us understand. And then to add to that a few other thoughts, just opening our hearts and our lives to the spirit. Everyone can do this. Everyone should do this. It's easy. We're talking about a couple of minutes for the next seven days. I want to ask you to join me in committing to praying for the next seven days that God, the Holy Spirit, who for believers, just remember, he's with us and he is in us. So let's just commit to taking this step because, back to the big idea, it will help us all participate. And that's the beauty and joy of what we find in that early church in Acts chapter 2. A lot of participation, a lot of togetherness, a lot of praying, and God the Holy Spirit worked. He moved. Let's ask him to do it again. Father, we come to you in humility, thanking you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I don't understand it all. I don't get it all. But God, I think this is where we just step back and we stand in awe of you. A God whose ways and thoughts are above ours. So what we know based on what is revealed in scripture is that Jesus said, I have to go. I'm returning to heaven because my work on earth is done. I have paid the price for sin. I have defeated death by coming back to life. And I need to go because the Holy Spirit needs to come and be with believers and in them. And Father, your son said, this is better. This is better. God, my confession to you is I often act as if the Holy Spirit isn't within me. Kind of ignore that. Try to figure out everything on my own in solving problems and thinking about tomorrow and planning and strategizing and organizing all of this. God, I think here today, here tomorrow is a reminder that God the Spirit is within believers. And life may be a bit better for us if we yield and submit and listen and open up every room in our lives to him. So God, help us to do that. Help us to do that today and throughout the week. And then as we begin this seven-day prayer journey, God, would you use that to help us become more aware of the Spirit's movement 
and his promptings in us? And would you use that to just help our church to be a better together kind of community of faith that functions like a light-saving station, being a bright light for all. God, I can't wait to see what you do as we all yield to the Holy Spirit within us. And God, for that person who's here or watching, who is saying, I'm not quite there. I'm not a believer in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit stuff sounds kind of weird. Would you just encourage them and meet them where they are and help them to see that Jesus offers something for them that is good. That's good. Help them to wrestle with that. God, work in us. We do pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.